I do hope that you'll take note of the fact that God has entrusted us to continue in our mission, uh, our mission to make disciples and also to focus that discipleship on children. And it's growing in all sorts of ways. And when you see the children come up here and they, they leave their coins here, you see so many different children. You see the children who come from our own town. And uh, there's certainly a need to bless and encourage those children. And then there's the children who are in need because they're, they're foster children. And we have families in this congregation that reach out and support them. I'm, I'm very thankful to the people who are involved in those two ministries. And yet I also want you to remember, it's not just their ministry. It's us. And we need to support that. And there is a specific way you can support the children who are in foster care. And there's a, there's a new bulletin board out in the foyer, in the hallway as you go towards the, um, to the King's Kids area. I've posted something about it on Facebook, but there's specific instructions there that tell you how you can participate and be a part of that. We'll, we'll be glad to tell you about any of the others at any time. Um, and let me say this. What's so great about some of this is, is that we have to constantly be creative in what we're doing. That we're, uh, we're in new territory on a lot of this. And that requires us to be creative. But let me, let me dispel any need for anxiety. When you're wrapped up in God's adventures, when you're wrapped up in God's mission, he's going to provide. And he's going to give us the ability. We just have to keep in mind that if we're involved in his mission, then, then he'll provide. He'll, he'll show us what to do. And he'll give us new ideas and new opportunities. Um, he's, he's just kind of like that. I've got a text I want to read to you. It's Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Colossian church and he's putting it all in perspective for them. He's writing to baptized believers, followers of Christ, and he wants them to know what that, what that discipleship means. And so he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Why in this passage, let me back up and show you one statement. In this passage, suddenly Paul gets into fashion. Did you notice that? There you go. Verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why does he have to pick up the clothing metaphor? Couldn't he have just said it? Well, he did just say it, didn't he? You're not this, but you're this. Don't do this, do this. But why bring in all that talk of clothing? Why, why does he have to be so poetic about it? I tell you, see, it's the problem with preachers. They don't just say what they mean. They have to give you all this clever talk, you know. Have to entertain you. I don't know. Why does he bring up clothing? Well, it might be that he has a good reason. I think it has something to do with this little talk about How here, in the body of Christ, we're not going to talk about Greek or Jew, uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Because in the ancient world, those types of individuals could be identified sometimes by the clothing they wore. There were particular items of clothing. It might have been a cloak, it might have been a hat, it could have been some accessory item, and it would have identified to you that someone who had been born or had been a slave was now a freedman. If you're Jewish, there's certain particular modes of dress, certain customs about dress that are going to stand apart from Greeks, from Gentiles. And then over there in your large collection of Gentiles, well, you have different types of Gentiles. You've got your um, uh, Greeks who are a bit more refined, they speak Greek, which many Jews also spoke in and around Colossae and in the, in the world of Paul's day. But then you've got barbarians. And barbarians are a step down from your average Greek. They don't have the philosophy, they don't have the culture. In fact, they are called barbarians because they have a different language. 
And when Greeks would hear it, the language would sound like bar, 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 bar. You think I'm making that up. That's, that's, that's true. They, you know, they all sounded like one of Charlie Brown's teachers. And so they, you know, they, they, they were barbarians, okay? And, and then among barbarians, you had the Scythians. Barbarians even looked down on Scythians, okay? A Scythian could out-barbarian a barbarian. And they had particular modes of clothing. And then you had slave and free. Doesn't sound very good to us, and rightly so, but in their world, those were very distinct classes. And yet, to the church in Colossae, Paul says, that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Christ, for us, Christ is all that matters. Christ is all. Christ is in all. And so that means that your identity in Christ is not all of these different things that you see on this list. But it means that you are God's chosen ones. It means that you are God's holy ones. It means that you are the ones loved by God. Now let's be honest. These categories are out of date. When's the last time you worried if someone that you met is Jewish or Greek? You certainly don't need to be spending your time worrying about circumcision. Yeah, that was meant for humor. Take that one home with you, okay? Barbarians, Scythians. I have to explain to you what a barbarian or Scythian is. And thankfully, we don't have to worry about the problems of slavery or freedom in this country right now. But we have our own categories, our own distinctions that sometimes we want to say, I wonder if that person is perhaps conservative or are they liberal? Are they progressive or are they traditional? And we have our modes and we have our ways of capturing that for ourselves and for others. For example, what does it mean if we consider that someone is conservative or traditional. When, we, when someone says that about themselves, when they say, I'm conservative, what is being said? Does it mean that they're pro-gun? Does it mean that they're old? Does it mean that they're rural? Does it mean that they're Wall Street? Does it mean that they're a golfer? Well, all these are pictures I just pulled off the internet of real people. Well, that is Mitt Romney as Thurston Howell III. But, you know, what? Are, it makes the point. Does that mean you're a member of the 1%? And by the way, it's not just politics and society. You know this as well as I do. Don't deny it. We use those terms with the church, and we use those terms with ourselves in the church. And so we talk about whether or not the worship of such and such church, or maybe even this congregation, well, it's kind of conservative. What do we mean by that? Does that mean that we sit in a place that looks like a church with pews, and we're the frozen chosen, and... We, uh, three songs and a prayer, what do we mean by that? I'm just asking you to think about this. Because when we say these things, whatever they may mean, and they do mean something, but whatever they may mean, go back to Colossians. Are these things from above or are these earthly things? And where do we set our minds? On things above or on earthly things? When we say that someone is progressive or someone is liberal, 
When someone says that about themselves and says, I'm rather progressive, what's being said? Does it mean that a person is young? Does it mean that a person is a hipster? Maybe a person could be an old hipster. Does it mean that someone, their sexual identity could be questionable? Does it mean that uh, someone watches MSNBC? Does it mean they're an academic, a professor? When someone, when we talk about that term, and we use that term sometimes in, re, in reference to, to worship or the practices of the church, does that mean that that group of people who are progressive, that they gather together in a place that really looks like a warehouse and they raise their hands a lot? What is being said? There might even be light, laser lights there. I don't know. Why do people say these things? And when they do say these things, and they do mean something, but what is being said? I just want you to think about it. And are these things from above or are these earthly things? We use these terms a lot. Conservative, liberal, progressive, traditional. When someone says that they're a barbarian and they identify themselves as a barbarian, what's being said? Does it mean that they carry a battle axe and they knock the heads off statues with a club? Well, yeah, it probably does. That's right on the mark, actually, for those terms, and that's an easier one to understand. But you'll see what Paul did with that term. He said, that's not what matters, because Christ is in all, and Christ is all. So like it or not, we have these terms, and we have terms that are connected to these terms. How do we use these? We, I, I, we may be much more diverse than the simple terms liberal and conservative. I kind of hope that we are. I hope that most of us as individuals are. But whether we use these terms or whether we modify these terms, what do we mean to say with these words? And are we saying the same thing to one another? Because sometimes I've noticed, and I, perhaps you've noticed this, and I just want you to think about it, that sometimes a certain feeling or an attitude will get attached to these terms. So that if someone is conservative, it means that they're narrow-minded and set in their ways. If someone is liberal, then it means that they're, uh, they're not close to the truth and they go too far. The terms technically mean, liberal means freedom and it means, uh, it means change. Conservative means preserving certain things. But I want to identify these terms. I want to name this because I will tell you the world is constantly trying to place us in one of these camps. And the world has a lot of camps for us to go into. The world has a lot of labels for us. Red state, blue state, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, pro this, anti that. Sometimes the two pro categories stand against one another. And we are being asked to identify in a lot of different groups and We are different. There are differences. But what matters in the church? If you read Paul and you read Colossians, it's Christ that's in all and Christ is all. For example, just taking the word straight out of Colossians. Look at these things that he says. This is what I want you to clothe yourselves with. This is how I want you to describe yourselves. This is how I want you. These are the things I want you to look for in others and encourage in others. Because these two parties, these two ways of doing things, these two directions, 
They're looking for recruits. They're looking for people who fit in. And yet, they're not one. They're different. And their, their identity is based on being different than the other in most cases. But when you look at these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, those are the things that were mentioned in the text in Colossians 3. I ask you, which of those is a liberal virtue? Which of those is a conservative virtue? Are they progressive virtues or traditional virtues? There's no good answer to those questions because those questions are not biblical. Scripture says, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the appearance. This is the attire of one who is clothed in Christ. By the way, don't, don't hear the message of this sermon as, I ought to do a better job of not judging other people. That's a small part of it. That's a good message. But that's a small part of it. The message today is not, don't judge a book by its cover. Actually, the cover gives you the title of the author. So, you know, usually that's a pretty good indicator, something you might want to pay attention to. But we know what we mean by that. And that, even that is not the message. The message is who you are, if you are in Christ, who you are. Is you, you. You as an individual, you as a people, all of you here, no matter how different you may be, if you are in Christ, you are his chosen ones. He chose you. We're talking about the adopted children. We are all adopted children. We are all adopted by God. He chooses us. You are holy. God has made you holy. He has given you the opportunity to be holy. It is your charge. That is your mission. That is your calling. And you are loved by God. One of the most distressing things in ministry, one of the most distressing things for a church leader, is to know that there are people who will come day in, day out to worship who will participate in the activities and the life of the church. And yet, at some point, they will doubt if God loves them. What are we doing that that message can still remain among us? God loves you. He loves us. And in that, we can find our identity. If we will clothe ourselves in these things then we will see ourselves and see one another differently. All other terminologies, all other ways of identifying other people or even identifying ourselves, that's going to divide us and that's going to divide the church. And so, yes, this message does have something of a warning attached to it. When we begin talking about groups within the church... Be they liberals, conservatives, uh, old hymn types, new song types, whatever it may be. When you look at the church through those lenses, we're setting up a self-fulfilling prophecy that's going to make us divide. Whether we're not in the same address, whether or not we're right here, whether or not we're going to different groups. 
Now, you don't get to unity by requiring everybody to be uniform on everything. But you also don't get to unity by paying too much attention to all of these worldly differences that, as Paul says, set your mind on things above. By the way, we've introduced our four new elder nominees. Do we really want to size them up? Find out where their temperament is? Which camp do they go into? Why is that going to help us? Why is that going to help us at all? Even if they were to do that to themselves, why is that going to help us? What I want to know is, are they clothed in this uniform? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the suit they want to wear, and that's the suit they'll call us to wear. Anything else is not of Christ. Oh, you know, we are all called to be the chosen, holy, loved ones. And, and we don't need to call for a uniformity that is restrictive because we have a uniform out of this passage. That uniform is unity. And it looks, it looks a certain way. My father was in the military, and I used to pay attention to the different uniforms he had. And there was a purpose for all of those uniforms. There was a time that he had to wear all of those uniforms. But there was one uniform my father didn't have. And it kind of disturbed me. He didn't have his dress blue uniform. You know, there was, there, you know, he had different types. Well, I wondered why he didn't have that one. And I was afraid he was going to be unprepared. But he knew what the regulations were. He knew what was required of him. And he never needed that uniform. He knew better. It wasn't just about having a suit of clothes that he could put on. It was about him understanding what was required for the occasion. The kind of uniform that we're called to wear as a member of God's family is unity. And it, it and by the way, in Colossians, Paul has already said, you can get all the externals right and those things look good. This is Colossians chapter 2. He says those things look good and they look profitable, but he says they don't, they don't promote godliness and holiness. They may be fine on the outside, but it won't do anything with what's in here. The unity that God calls us to, the way that we're supposed to dress and appear and look, comes from what, who we are in Christ. And one of the things that we do is we forgive as the Lord forgave us. Matthew 18 is not just a nice little catchphrase in the church that says, hey, everybody has to work out their own differences. It is a teaching of Jesus Christ. And it says there is hard work involved in overcoming the sinfulness that racks this world and causes us to be divided, throws us into camps like Greek and Jew and slave and free, and then whatever other labels we've got today in this country and other countries. Secondly, he says, love binds all the virtues together perfectly. Love is a virtue, but it's more than just any other virtue. Love is not just a feeling, an attitude, or emotion. Love is the characteristic that marks out God's chosen, holy, loved people. We can forgive because of the way that God has forgiven us. We can love because of the way that God has loved us. And then there comes Colossians 3.16. If you've been around here any time at all, you know what that is. That's the no piano scripture, right? 
That's the one that says we're supposed to sing in you know, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, there's much more to it than that. What he's saying is he's saying good worship doesn't come from a uniform template of worship that if you just, if you just place that on a congregation, then everything's going to come out in such a way that God's not going to be roused, awakened, upset, or disturbed. He's saying that good worship comes from those hearts. That indwelling peace, gratitude, love that manifests itself in a manner of worship that is encouraging to one another, in a manner of worship that is like God. The reason why we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is because they have contained within them words that encourage one another. Things that we say to one another. Today in the singing, I'll admit to you, I'll confess to you, I came in with some weariness today. I, I, I came in with some, you know, sometimes I, I have just kind of a little down view about things. And I wonder sometimes why God is putting up with this world and why he puts up with me. But I listen to you singing those songs, and I listen to those songs, and it reminded me of what really matters. It reminded me of things like God's love and how Christ is in all and is all that matters. And in fact, today we will close with the song, In Christ Alone. Why? So that we can encourage one another to remind one another That who we need to be inside and out is Christ and Christ alone. How else do you want the people of the world to know you? How else do you want to be known by the brothers and sisters sitting all around you today? Don't you want to be known as one of Christ's loved ones? One of his chosen ones? One of of his holy ones? And don't you also want them to know that they are also loved by God. And they are welcome to put on the uniform. They're welcome to come and join in the unity in Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's simple. Not in the sense that it's simple to do or to practice. But I am saying that God is the one who makes it possible. Sometimes when we come to worship, we come to worship, we come to our fellowship thinking that it's all up to us to get it right. That we've got to come up with all of the energy. If my sermon's not inspiring enough, then you're just not going to make it. If, 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 my, if, our, Brent, if the singing just isn't right on the mark, then oh, we've, we've blown it. We've blown it. It's wasted Sunday. And if you haven't done everything that you're supposed to do today, this event may not count. You'll find none of that in Scripture. What you'll find in Scripture is you will find a God who took the first step. You'll find a God who took the initiative. All we have to do is die. All we do is die to self. And then He gives life. He gives new life. He gives the energy to live. He gives the spirit that enables us to clothe ourselves in what really matters. And you know what? If you've shown up today, you didn't have to manufacture it. It's being offered freely.
How would you like to be known? How would you like to be part of what God is doing, not just here, but around the world and in this community? How would you like to be one of his chosen, holy, loved ones? While we stand and sing this song, if there's any encouragement that we can give you, we'll have shepherds down front, we'll have shepherds in room 100. They'll be ready to pray with you and to share with you in God's love. If you want to be clothed in Christ, we are submerged in Christ in baptism. We die to ourselves, and we are made new, called to live a new life. How can, how, how can you respond to Christ's invitation to be his child today? Let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one another.